I don't think we've ever had the scripture sung to us quite like that, but we're in Psalm 103, if you'd turn there with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Well, this message this morning will come in three parts, because you're part of the message this morning. I'm going to share, and then you're going to share, and then we'll sing, and then I'll share some more, and then you'll share some more, and we'll do that three times. And there are five benefits that we see in this passage, but you know, as we think about this Thanksgiving weekend, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. I want to know if the tryptophan is out of your system, though, because if you're dozing, we have coffee outside. But what is it about Thanksgiving and turkey? And, you know, I'm thinking that for some of you, you must have had turkey most Sunday mornings. No, you never fall asleep. You're awesome. Uh, you're just so thankful, so thankful. You know, uh, Irma Bombeck said, what's not to be thankful for? A wonderful day set aside on the fourth Thursday of November when no one diets. I mean, why else would they call it anything but Thanksgiving, right? Maybe you saw this postcard. It featured an old-fashioned Thanksgiving Day picture of a pilgrim family walking toward church. A mother showed her kids the card explaining how the pilgrim children enjoyed observing Thanksgiving Day by attending church with their parents. One of their skeptical children asked his mother, well, if those kids like to go to church so much, why is their father walking behind them with a shotgun? <laughs> well, I'm grateful for this Thanksgiving weekend because we spent it with my grandson, who was exactly seven days old this uh, yesterday. And, you know, there are so many new grandparents Leslie, you're this grandparent for the eighth time. Uh, Rod and Anita, I know, are out there somewhere. Uh, first one, right? And that you're like way ahead of me. You're like two weeks into this grandparenting thing. Uh, and if anybody else is celebrating new birth, um, congratulations. Well, this weekend, we're reflecting and we're responding. We're grateful. St. Ambrose said it this way, no duty is more urgent than of returning thanks and so in this passage, in the song, you saw five reasons, five reasons why we're thankful. In fact, he calls them benefits. Um, let us forget none of his benefits there in verse 2. And if you're studying this passage, you may want to study this one along with the, the psalm after it, Psalm 104, and Psalm 145. Those three psalms, 103, 104, 145, kind of are the, the trifecta of thanksgiving. So if you take your notes out, I do want to remind you that today, though you may be off from school, some of you, that there is a quiz we are going to take together as a church in application to our sermon. It's called your GQ, your gratefulness quotient, and we'll take that in just a few moments. But if we look at his benefits, we want to first of all look at what God has done. Look at verse 2, and forget none of his benefits. Um, Psalm 68, 19 says it this way, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us, is the word, with his benefits, the God of all so of salvation. Uh, if you want to look at it a different way, don't forget all of his awards, the things that he has given to us. And I want to cover just the first two before you get a chance to share as we sing and share together. 
He's cataloging these, these five things, these goodness things, these gratefulness things. And if you take that word ungrateful, like in 2 Timothy 3, 2, it's the same word, just with the negative put on it in the Greek. And so the same great wor- Greek word for grateful or thankful is the word used for ungrateful as well. Cicero said it this way, a thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all other virtues. And if you study through the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, 14 times Moses admonishes the people to remember what the Lord has done for them. We are so quick in our fast-paced society not to pause and reflect about how good God has been. We have a tradition in our home, and we've been doing it for years, that Thanksgiving, Christmas, any family gathering, but especially Thanksgiving, we sit down before we watch any more football or play any more dominoes or go out and play you know, bocce ball before we go do whatever we're going to do. We gather as a family, and we say, what are we grateful for? What are we thankful for? And it's a very emotional time for our family because Every year, somebody in our family is no longer with us, and it's been happening the last several years. The first year when grandma wasn't there, first year when my mom wasn't there, first year when my dad wasn't there, first year when Cheryl's dad wasn't there. And we are remembering that life is very short. And so as you prepare your hearts for sharing in just a few moments, realize that today, as you share, there are things I'm sure that God is gonna lay on your heart that will be a blessing to the whole church, but we don't take even the relationships that we have here for granted. Now as you look at this passage, there are five things, five benefits, five awards, five things that we ought to be grateful for, and I want you to put your thinking cap on for a second because each one of those things also represent a geographic location or setting for where those benefits occur. So let's look at the first one together. And in verse three, who pardons all your iniquities, or as the NIV says, forgives all your sins. The first benefit is, is that God is your merciful judge. And the, the setting is the, law, the court of law. And so you see in this picture, you are judged, but thank goodness you are judged by a merciful judge. He keeps forgiving. He doesn't ever stop forgiving you. Now, we've talked a lot about forgiveness over the last several months, but for some of you, again, you carry that weight of sin on your back, and you have a hard time forgiving yourselves. Now, he goes down, and we won't look at these, but Look at verses 10 through 12. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west. Now I want to illustrate that with you. I have three volunteers who are going to illustrate how your sin and God are as far as the east is from the west. Now in no random order and no foresight, I have picked God, you, and your sin. Noah is God. Well, for this illustration, Noah is God, all right? And you're going to represent yourself, right? And your name is? Stephen. This is Stephen, all right? And this is going to be Stephen's sin right here. God, sin, and Stephen. Now, think about this. Let's put you over here. Uh, 
I'm not sure if this is east and west because I'm all confused, but we're just going to make sure that this is, yeah, it messes up, but for right now, it's going to be east. We've already established, I don't know how to use a compass, we did that last week, all right? You're going to go over here, and this is going to represent west. He said, as far as your sins are from the east and the west. Now, here's the amazing thing about God. When he's looking at you, what doesn't he see? He doesn't see your sin. And when he's forgiving your sin, what is he not looking at? He's not looking at you. It's as far as the east is from the west. When he looks at you, he cannot see your sin. When he's forgiving and looking at your sin, he's not looking at you. I hope you'll never, you can have a seat. Thank you, gentlemen. That's what it means to say that your sin is as far as from the east is from the west. Now, notice that he doesn't treat you as your sins deserve, which is punishment. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities, which is the penalty. And as far as the east is from the west, as far as he's removed the transgressions, that's the promise. So he doesn't punish us. There's the penalty that he has forgiven, and there's the promise that he's put aside. So when God forgives you, it really is as far as the east is from the west. What would your life be like, just for a moment, if God hadn't forgiven you? If God wasn't a merciful judge? In your sharing, in just a few moments, maybe you'll reflect on that as we share together. You see, God's for receiving God's forgiveness is the first, and I believe it's the most important benefit of these five. Let's look at the second one. He's also your skilled doctor. He heals all your diseases. So we go from the courtroom to the hospital. It's used of God. It's that Jehovah Rapha term for God. So doctors, they can diagnose, but God is the only one who can heal. And it's not just a physical healing, is it? He heals you physically. He heals you emotionally. And in fact, some of the greatest healing in your life has been what? It's not been a physical healing. For some of you, it's, it's the healing that comes from knowing that you're now forgiven. It's that healing from bitterness, from anger, from revenge, from ungratefulness, from greed. Now, Isaiah 53, 6 says, by his wounds you are healed. And he's reiterating his promise here in Psalm 103 of that promise in Exodus, write it down, Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, during the Israel, during the plagues, he said this, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statues, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. Four times in the Old Testament, he is specifically referred to as the healer. And if you want to study that, look at Psalm 6-2, Psalm 30, verse 2, Jeremiah 30, verse 17, and my favorite, Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted. Now, there's some false theology going out there. Is God required to heal you physically? Is he required to? No, and some, uh, that, that's a theology of, of, of um, healing in the atonement. That's a false theology. God is not required to heal you. Can he heal you? 
Yes, of course. Is he required to? No. If you're not healed, does that mean that you are in sin and that means because of your sin, you're not being healed? Again, false theology. Now, there may be consequences to your sin or your behavior that causes physical consequences. If you're drunk and you're on a motorcycle and you crash into a tree and you have complications to your head resulting in a concussion, yeah, that might be a consequence of your behavior. But you are not automatically not forgiven because or not healed physically because of, quote, sin in your life. Sickness isn't a result of a lack of faith on your part. There are some denominations who preach that if you had enough faith, then you'd be healed. How many of you, and this is a little telling, and it's probably painful to admit at times, how many of us ever prayed for somebody to be physically healed, but it didn't happen? Look around, look around. We've all prayed for something desperately that God would, that God would heal. And it doesn't mean that he is now bound by our prayers to do that healing. It's, sometimes it's just not his time. In other situations, he will get more glory because of our enduring through it than our healing because of it. And so we just need to realize that in these first two benefits, ultimately God will bring healing, right? We do know that. Ultimately in heaven, we all are healed. We'll have a new body. We won't have that anguish of life that sometimes we live with. And so those are the first two benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. That's in the court of law. He's the merciful judge. He heals all your diseases. He indeed is your skilled doctor in the hospital of life. Well, we continue as we look at an attitude of gratitude in verse 4. He redeems your life from the pit. Now that picture is disturbing. It's, it's gut-wrenching. It's from the movie Amadeus. I was reminded again as I went to the movie uh, Lincoln this past weekend that ultimately we are slaves apart from the fact that we have a benevolent slave owner who is God. He bought us. He set us free. For most of us, we have no concept of this idea of slavery unless, you, unless you've lived in a part of the world where it is still practiced. And he says he redeems you. He's taken your life from that pit, from that place that you could never, ever on your own be free from. That's the kind of God we serve. That word pit means to be in ruin, to be in destruction. And it begins at salvation. I'm reminded of that old youth group song from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. He redeems your life from corruption, from the pit. I waited patiently for the Lord. He returned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet upon the rock and gave me a, first, a firm place to stand. Ultimately, we have been redeemed, brothers and sisters, and that, that's something that, that's so beyond 
my thinking. And I find as Christians, we err in one of two ways when it relates to this idea of redemption. For some of you, you say, well, it wasn't that big a deal. I wasn't that bad. I mean, look at me. I'm pretty good. I mean, he died for me, but uh, come on. What's not to like about this, right? I mean, you would never say that out loud, but you act like, hey, I'm pretty good. I just got a little dusting off. That's one view. Here's the other problem. You're on this side. Some of you go, oh, there's just no way. I, I can't. How could God ever? And you are just in that pit, and you are so beneath it, you can't possibly fathom that idea that you've been redeemed, that you could ever be really ever set free. If you've ever wrestled with an addiction, you understand that pit because you can't seem to ever climb out and when you do, you fall back in. And time after time, your life feels like a failure. But feeling like a failure or, in my opinion, the fool who says, yeah, I'm really not that bad. God would be lucky to have me in heaven. <laughs> Both are false views of our need for redemption, are they not? Are they not? And so he is the benevolent slave owner. And so we've gone from the courthouse to the hospital to the slave market. And I must say today that on a service like this, some of you may be visiting, you're here with friends and Family, maybe you're far from God, but this is the greatest day for you to be here and hearing that God has redeemed you. Well, it goes to the fourth benefit, the fourth award. He crowns you, at end of verse four, with loving kindness and compassion. So he's not only the, the law giver, he's not only the great doctor and healer, He's not only the benevolent slave owner who has freed you, he is now the majestic king who grants you all the privileges as an heir to the throne. So now we go from the pit to the throne room, the king of kings, the Lord of all. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Look at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Look at verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And that crowning means to literally surround your life with love and compassion. Chuck Swindoll tells the story about the idea of being brought into a family without being on probation. Any of you have maybe uh, run into the law, may have been on probation. In fact, if you've ever been hired by a company, you've been maybe put on probation. My, my son has discovered probation. He's on probation for the first 90 days. And the worst part about being probation is he came on right before the holidays and he gets none of the paid holidays because he's on probation and his insurance doesn't start for 90 days. So what does the guy do? He goes and plays in the turkey bowl on Thursday and has a separated shoulder. He comes to Thanksgiving like this. And so we took him to the doctor on Friday and now we paid a lot of money for a very nice sling. Uh, that's it, and two aspirin. All right, and so, actually it's a little more powerful than aspirin, as you might know. And so he's on probation. But when you come into God's family, guess what? 
no probation. You're not put on probation. There's no waiting period. Uh, there's no God checking you out to see whether he likes you enough. There's none of this, well, maybe I'm not good enough and then I'll get kicked out of the coat company. You see, you're not on trial with him. You're not on trial. You don't have to come just a little further. You don't have to clean up for God. I've been sharing Christ with a guy for three years now. And uh, he, he, he lost his wife four years ago. And he was angry. I mean, his very first day at church two and a half years ago, he brought on his card, pray that I have the courage to come back the next Sunday. And he came back the next Sunday. And he's been on this journey. And in our last meeting for a year, over a year and a half now in our lunch meetings, it's like, what's keeping you from praying to receive Christ? You're, you're just right here. And it finally hit him this, a few weeks ago. He has this false view that he has to get better enough and, and good enough and, quote, clean up enough before God will accept him and forgive him. And so many of us have maybe mistakenly moved in that theology where we think we gotta get better and then God can forgive us. And yet he's saying here, he's the king. He's, he's gonna crown you with love and compassion. You don't have to get better, you're his son. When you come to know Jesus, you've got the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who is not only rescued from the pit, but he's gonna lift you up and you're one of the king's kids. That sounds like a bad 70s musical group, the King's Kids. And so the bottom line is you're part of his family and he's gonna crown you with loving kindness and compassion. Well, we come to the fifth benefit. In verse five, he satisfies your years or your desires with good things. And this is one that's almost too good to be true. God, get this, is the ultimate party giver. He's the one who prepares this ultimate feast for your pure enjoyment. I get goosebumps. I think about God throws parties. Now, some of you are going, dude, God throws parties? Not that kind of party, all right? It's the kind of party that is ultimately for just your pure enjoyment. Because you're his guests at the banquet hall. There will be a time, and we know about it in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where he's going to throw this elaborate feast. And those of you who are Christ's followers will be part of the enjoyment of that time. He's saying that it's the Lord God who's praised in this passage who will make your life ultimately one that's enjoyable, satisfying, free, enthusiastic. All the good things that are true, that's what the Lord wants for you. And ultimately, you'll, you'll experience that in heaven. But he said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more, what? Abundantly. So what are your desires? You know, I, um, I have a lot of desires. I, too, was in a bit of mourning with some of you. Some of you are not regulars of the church. It did take me long that there were, there were USC fans and then the rest of us, right? <laughs> so the USC fans are in mourning, but he's saying there's an ultimate party, that there's, a, there's something to be excited about. 
And the, and the thing that I'm excited about is he's taken kind of that old, negative, destructive place of my past. And look what he did. If you just take that, if you go back through it again, he took that and he judged you with mercy. He forgave it in the court of law. And because you were messed up and that sin plagued you like a disease, he then was the skilled doctor and he took care of it in the hospital. And because we were enslaved to that sin, he was the gracious, benevolent slave owner who, who bought you and paid, it, paid for your life with a price. And though the free gift of eternal life is free, it was not cheap. It was paid for at a great price. And then he said, I'm taking you out of that pit and I'm putting you on the throne with me as you're one of the king's kids. And you're in the throne room. And then ultimately he says, I'm going to prepare a big party, a feast. Reminiscent again of the prodigal son when the son who was lost comes back and there's a feast. Again, all these childhood songs came back to mind. Maybe we're just going to do it impromptu. All right. He sits me at his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. All right, pick the key. You picked a uh, bad key. I picked a bad key. Let's try it. He said I could do one impromptu song, so let's see if we can do it. Here we go. He sits me at his banqueting table. His ba oh, 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 no. If I'm going to sing, you're going to act, all right? So you get just a little over the head, you know, banquet, his banner over me is love, all right? One, two, three, let's do it. Here we go. Sits me at his banqueting table, his banner over me is love. Sits me at his banqueting table, his banner over me is love. I'm watching you. Sits me at his banqueting table, his banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. All right. Let's give yourselves a hand. All right. You see, John Piper says it this way, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So ultimately, that feast is about satisfying those desires. And when those ultimate spiritual desires are satisfied, he says the result is so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Look at verse 5. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. You can see that again in Exodus 19.4 and Jeremiah 48.40. And so all these benefits, all these benefits, we are a blessed people, are we not? And so I want you to take a moment as we wrap up. And I've given you a chance to take a quiz. What is your gratefulness quotient? You get one point for each one, and no fair giving yourself bonus points because you think you really rock in a particular area. Just give yourself one point. And I want to read them to you. And then you can add up the score, and then you can kind of see how grateful are you this week, this moment. I thank God regularly for the provisions in my life. I see God at work in answered prayer. I'm generally joyful regardless of circumstances. I'm content with what I have in life. I realize that God has blessed me. 
I'm thankful for good health, a job, and a place to live. I don't complain about what I don't have. I am not envious of others' stuff or things. I have no need to compare my situation with others. I am grateful for the blessing of forgiveness. I am grateful for my position in life. And lastly, I am blessed beyond my wildest imagination. Now, if you got three or less, I'd say it's time to get a grip. Maybe your attitude needs an adjustment, a checkup from the neck up, as Zig Ziglar would say. Or maybe you scored five, four to six, then you not need to get a life, not get a grip, you got to get a life. You need to kind of take inventory again. Or maybe seven to nine, you need to get going and practice a little more gratefulness. And if it's 10 to 12, great job. You're either leading by example or horribly dishonest this morning. <laughs> okay. And so take the time as we conclude our sermon today and, and at lunch today, go over these questions and share your scores with your family. But as we wrap up, I want to close with a couple of quotes, some stories. Sir John Templeton, the billionaire investor, was once asked what the secret to wealth is. And without hesitation, he said, gratitude. He went on to say, if you're not grateful, you'll never be rich, no matter how much money you have. So Chad's going to play a bit here just for a moment, and then we'll have our last sharing time. But I want to lead you in prayer before they share. So Chad, just kind of set the tone for us as, as I want you to reflect here. There's an Irish saying that says this, get down on your knees and thank God you are on your feet. You see, some would say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. But as Charles Spurgeon says, you make a mistake. If you're not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied even if it were doubled. You see, someone also said that an atheist is a person who, when he feels grateful, has no one to thank. Well, friends, today in God's house, we have someone to thank. And I will lift up, I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, of praise. I will bless the Lord, O oh my soul, for all that is within me. I will bless his holy name. And I will bless the Lord and I will forget none, none of his benefits who pardons me for all my iniquities. Thank you, Lord, that you healed me, that you healed me of my diseases, that you forgave me as the merciful judge. Lord, I thank you that you redeemed me and my life in the pit and that you are the benevolent slave owner who bought me with a price. Lord, I thank you that you crown me as one of the king's kids, as, as one who gives me loving kindness and compassion. And you raise me up. And then... Lord, I thank you that you satisfy 
my years with good things, that you throw the ultimate party, that you're the ultimate party giver that blesses me in ways that are beyond my wildest dreams. And so I am grateful. And today I know that you're grateful. And so, Lord, we collectively lift your name up. And as we now close our service with one last song, I ask, Lord, that you would indeed bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the sharing doesn't have to happen just once a year. You have time to share in your small groups this week. We're going to sing one final song. But I want to thank you as your pastor for the privilege that I have of opening God's word to you every week, for a congregation who's engaged, who listens, who takes notes, who applies, who prays, who responds, for a pastor. Other than your family and the personal stuff in life, it doesn't get much better. Because when I see your face, I gotta tell you what I see. I see Jesus. I see Jesus in your faces. I see it in how you love one another. I see it in how you interact with people who are new to this place. I see it in your service. And I'm telling you, this next year of 2013, which is only a month and a few days away, is gonna be the best ever in the history of this church. And I'm just privileged to be a little part of your joy. Thank you for allowing my wife and I to serve with you. God bless you. Let's lift up his name as we close. I'm gonna hijack, I'm sorry. We need to, as a body, um, thank Pastor John for his presence here because honestly, all that stuff that he says to you about you, how great you are, he just won't stop talking about it all the time. All the time. He's like, it's the greatest church. It's the coolest church. And we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You are. You are the great. You are just a great body. Would you guys thank Pastor John just for being here? Amen. Is it good to be here today? Are you glad you were here today? Are you grateful? Are you glad for what God is doing in your life? And so as we close this benediction today, would you put your hand out like this, signifying that God is good and that you are grateful? And I'll close with some prayer. Heavenly Father, you are good. We are grateful. And so we bless your holy name. We lift it up. And now as we leave, we are reminded again that you are awesome. You are powerful. You are forgiving. You are the great healer. You are the throne room of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And someday we will reside with you forever and in all eternity. In Jesus' name we all say amen. Amen. God bless. Oh, you're welcome.